Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. And we're here Thanksgiving week. <laughs> you guys aren't going to hear this till till December, but we're really feeling it. It's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It's tough to come in the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think yeah. I was like driving to work and felt like there was no one on the road. Yeah. No. Nobody like worked today. Yeah, good for them. That's good. I mean, this isn't, I mean, where it's our pod record. I mean, we love doing this. So yeah. It's not no. like super. No. But well, so so many school districts now having the entire week oh off. Oh my for god, must be nice. I, After I they just believe had that. fall break, right? Some of them have fall break or no ski ski break. No ski break them. is like January oh, or February. Yeah. Fall break I'm is like, this new mm. thing that's like in October. Remember? Yeah, but then they're trying to say like, oh, they they have a shorter summer. That's what I've okay, heard. Okay, because like, I believe that. Right, right. I was just like, okay, like, but I mean, whatever. Look, I mean, if it if it gets whatever, kids to be more like focused when they're in school to have more breaks, more power to it. But I feel like isn't that what those all year round school does? And that's true. Well, there was another school in, that they had the Friday before, and then they had this entire week off too. Why? I don't know. I have no idea. But the teachers are all there because we had an IP meeting, so they weren't too happy about that. But I'm sure not. Our focus is clearly on Turkey Day, so we're just your head. Or for me, Tofurkey Day. That's your it's personal actually... problem, <laughs> and we don't have to go into that. It's actually not bad. Mm, yeah. Well, it's some of the sides and stuff like our guests are, are here yeah. shaking oh, their heads yeah. too. Oh no! I, that, this will be my third Thanksgiving being vegan, so. I'm yeah, okay with it. That's good. You just had the Impossible Burger the other day. I did for the first time. And you were like not into. I was it. not. I haven't had meat in so long that it just it, it tasted too, too much like meat, and it made me just real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that wasn't that wasn't great. But Whole Foods makes some really good vegan pies that taste just like regular pies. So oh, I'm yeah, excited that's what for you're that. Saying. Yeah, I'm excited for everything. I think most of the most of the time the sides are always the best. So mm-hmm. we'll, we go to two. So we'll be in Long Beach and then we'll be in Garden Grove. So. I'll get to eat a lot. But anyway, you're hearing this in December, so hopefully this brings back fond memories of your Thanksgiving. You're probably just finishing your leftovers you like now. Yeah. <laughs> Already so sick into of it. the holiday spirit. But um, we're really excited because we had to reschedule on our guests, and they were so we are so thankful for them because they came the Wednesday before Thanksgiving to, to do this recording. So I'm just going to give their first names, Kyle and Adriana. Thank you for being here. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, my name is Adriana. I'm a therapist over at Empath Clinical. I have history of treating trauma, uh, specifically for veterans, and this year I've been kind of branching out and seeing a lot of different clients and just having fun with that. And I'm Kyle, also a therapist at Empath Clinical. Uh, My background is in developmental psychology, and before that I was a middle school teacher for a few years before I went into grad school for Mm. psychology. 
happened. That gives you a, a unique perspective. Yeah. And I love teenagers, which is great, right? Yeah. That's Not everyone does. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of parents hearing, like, going, what? And I was pretty certain that I didn't before I worked with them, so I can <laughs> certainly understand the trepidation. Right, right. Well, it's just, it's, it's such a unique area, you know, just like, you know, we don't know many people that help children before the age of five. So we, we're constantly meeting different people, and, and that's how we got connected by through another mutual contact of ours. Shout out to Sarah. What's up, Sarah? Who we're having back on the pod. Yes, I think, probably. soon, I think, yeah, hopefully. soon. But she had connected us because um, I think we were talking to her about trauma the last time with the children that were being um, separated from their families at the border and being put into cages and th- you know so much has happened between that time and that was only a couple months ago but for us you know we always like to try to delve into areas that we are exposed to as special education attorneys but don't really know and and that's what you and I had kind of briefly touched about was the adolescent male population and how mental health is reflected within them what's what is the biggest thing that you see with you know our culture is you know you got to be macho and you got to be, you know, cowboy. I, I'm sure that's a big, big obstacle. Is that something that you feel a lot of the adolescent males are struggling with, you know, in, in terms of men aren't supposed to express feelings? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's so much more complicated than that, right? So teenagers, they're tough, and but they're also in this very special time where they're you know, across the board, their brains are like, you have all these emotions and they're super intense and you've never probably had a lot of these feelings before. But then at the same time, biologically, their their prefrontal cortex isn't really able to rein those in, in a way that's, you know, that's why you see these mood swings and you see, it's not nearly as bad as kind of the popular media makes it out to be. So the storm and stress theory of of adolescence doesn't hold all the time. Mm -hmm. But males, I think in particular, they they can hit this, this place where they have all these emotions, but they're really only told this only this one or two like this is what we want to see from you and it goes along with the the machismo uh, to some extent so it's like this big wall of water that comes and then it's like gonna only squirt out one tube or two tubes and that's a tremendous amount of pressure something that Amanda and I always talk about with our younger male kiddos is that we will see the behaviors very early on right you'll see a kiddo that's very frustrated and he's thrown his papers whereas the girl we may not see her social emotional issues until high school or junior high where she's cutting women tend to internalize and it's interesting to see that so young and so then by the time that we get to the adolescent male who is having all these behaviors you know very few of them will shut down Mm -hmm. most of them have these like outward behaviors and then that very quickly turns into and I know Amanda's had a couple clients where and we have two in South County and I have two in South County where then they turn to drug use you know Mm -hmm. and then we have the whole school to prison like I mean that was like a lot of themes but I'm sure those are kind of the recurring things that you're dealing with and seeing with with some of your male patients yeah absolutely I think you touched on a couple of good points like one is that you know, between men and women, they present differently when they're struggling with similar issues. So like a depressed adolescent male, it would be potentially the externalizing behavior, the, you know, the aggression or the violence. That's what's going to show first. And aggression can be a lot of different things. It could be yeah. slamming a desk yeah. or something. Or not, you know, it's not, it doesn't have to be extreme. And certainly, like, that obscures the fact that underneath you have similar difficult emotional processes, but we just, we deal with it differently in, in a 
you know, how we... How yeah, we so I think Vicky talked about a little bit of, like, what we typically see of, like, warning signs, so to speak, of when a, a child is struggling um, with social-emotional difficulties. Are there any telltale signs that may not be as obvious to a layperson that you could kind of give some guidance of, hey, if you're a teacher, like, here are some things to look out for? Yeah, and I think you hit on some of them, right? So we're all kind of socialized to respond more easily to girls. So they might, like, come and tell you something's going on, or you might notice that they're in their room more isolating. Whereas boys kind of act out with anger and, like, cussing kind of behaviors that push away. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes parents or teachers, it it can be off-putting when that's their kind of way of saying, like, I need help. Like, that is is kind of the way that they go about it. Mm -hmm. I think think just to add to that, too, the thing that, that really worries me more than anything is when you see someone who's shut down and is, is silent. So something I tell parents, right, they're, they're fighting with you, they're actually connecting with you. It's, it doesn't feel that way at all, and it's not happy, yeah. and it's not cool, yeah. and I'm sure, given that Thanksgiving is coming up a lot, <laughs> a lot you know, and, and the holidays yeah. and things like yeah. that. But it really, when I when I see that where there's no communication, even if it is anger, then it, then it says we've hit a point now where it's starting to go internal, and that that's what kind of raises a really big red flag mm-hmm. for me. I definitely have seen in some cases where the kid will be really active in, in, in an activity. Maybe they've played sports and they really love it and then hit middle school, high school, and they no longer want to participate. And I think there's definitely a fine line between, for the sports example, um, we have a lot of kids that will play sports growing up and it's very much about participation and, and you play because it's fun and then when you get to middle school, high school, it's it's more of that competitive nature. And so some kids just don't want to deal with it because it's that competitive nature, but then we see some types of withdrawal with not wanting to do something that we before really enjoyed and it's not that competitive. So it's, I'd say, probably difficult to figure out that fine line. Oh yeah, yeah, it's never straightforward. I think you touch on something very interesting, it's difficult, right? Because in, in middle school, particularly in adolescence, right? That's where we really start to see the the enforcement of conformity to gender mm-hmm. norms. And so that's when you see male-dominated sports becoming more about competition and the pecking order and the messages get very clearly stated. You need to be this way on the court. Um, and so it's not surprising in some ways that some individuals would just be like, that's not for me. So some some of that withdrawal, you know, on one hand might actually be healthy. If you know, you've got a coach who's, you know, saying things that are, like, you know, really policing the... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just watched this documentary, The Mask... Uh, the mask you live in, mm-hmm. right? And there's there's audio recording that they found or video recording of coaches talking to young boys and the way that, you know, it's just it's astounding that these kinds of things are out there. So in, in one sense, it might actually be healthy to for right, an right. adolescent male right. be like, no, 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 no this is not for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, if there is a withdrawal from these more social connecting activities, then it begs the question as to why. And mm-hmm. is it that they no longer wish for the connection through that? Is it that they're getting the connection in other ways? Is it they want to express a different side of them? Something about it feels comfortable, but... Uh, the pattern of withdrawal and isolation would be worrisome you know, to the max, to the extreme. How does a parent connect with your clinic? Are are you seeing more of the severe cases or it's just like a range of the therapies that you provide? Because I'm sure a lot of parents, you know, are sitting here and they're thinking, oh my gosh, like this is, this is something, especially with the holidays around the corner, you know, you just never know as a parent, you know, there's no guideline or handbook that's given. And I think the state of affairs with mental health is something that just culturally, you know, we shy away from. And, and Amanda and I, that 
that was in September, we had an event where the focus was on mental health and the bridge, the connection between school learning and mental health, especially we felt, and that was at the beginning of this year that we had the thought for this event, which was eventually in September. But I think at that point, you know, how many shootings, school shootings had there been like, and we were just like, we, what? Like that wasn't even our thought. We just knew that it was this, this pattern. But I I think a lot of parents hearing this conversation now are, are probably wondering like, when do I seek help? Or, you know, are you a facility that could help? Or, you know, is it just for the severe? You know, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's no really, like, right place to intervene. Um, For some parents, like, they're hearing from teachers that things are going wrong, and that's what kind of drives them to say, okay, it's time. Mm -hmm. I've worked with other people where the teens themselves say, I just really need to talk to someone, and it can't be you to their parents. um, Because they just want to have more of a kind of a hands-off approach. It's just things they don't Mm -hmm. want their parents to know about. But I'd say you can always open the conversation with your kids, right? If you've noticing something that's off, it's better to just bring it up with them and let them know that you're worried or that you're just there for them if and when they do need to talk. If parents, parents should never hit the point where they're like, it's too late. There's always time to, to reach out and ask for help. And also we've talked about this recently at Empath. It could be that it starts at the parent level. So if you're having trouble parenting or, or just opening discussions with your parents, maybe seek counseling yourself just to kind of have a third party to talk to. Sometimes um, your spouses are in that with you and it may be hard for them to to be the support you need, but mm-hmm. you could go together or um, separately, but just having someone else to talk to about what everybody deals with. Yeah. And I think it kind of speaks to the fact that for parents in this like this time period, there's a tremendous amount of pressure to do it perfectly and to mm-hmm. do it right. And if you're, mm-hmm. you know, if your kiddo is struggling, that's on you. It's really a reflection of you. And that gets so much more complicated in adolescence because they are by default trying to differentiate a little bit from you. And so they're going to fight with you. And, and so it's going to look, if you're looking for that feedback from your kiddo of how well your parenting's going, it's yeah. going to be very difficult to yeah. read those signals. And it's super hard, even, even for us sometimes, the first, in the first few minutes when you meet someone, it's not immediately evident if this is normative mm-hmm. teenage behavior or if this is, you know, behavior that might be more problematic so it kind of speaks to this idea of reaching out is always going to be a good idea it's just very difficult sometimes to say like I don't I don't actually know what I'm doing here and no one really does sometimes like your kid is unique the circumstances are unique the you know the climate that they're swimming in is so much different than what it was for us I think there's such a stigma around mental health and and seeing like a therapist that I'm sure there's a lot of parents who struggle with okay I I think that I'm at the point where maybe my child needs to Mm -hmm. go talk to someone or, or see someone but how do you breach that with the child? Do you have any strategies for how to talk to the, the child about, you know, I think this is something that would benefit you. This is what we're going to do. How, how do you go about that? Yeah, that's a really great question. <laughs> I don't know that there's a 100% right answer to that. But, uh, you know, one thing that I noticed even when you were talking about it, right, is like, how do I approach them about this iffy thing maybe, right? I don't know if that's preemptive, assuming they're going to respond a certain way or if it brings up something in parents where it's like, right. this actually feels uncomfortable the to projection. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're going to look to you for signals, right, about whether or not you feel like this is comfortable. It wouldn't be a big deal for, like, my mom to be like, let's go to the doctor because you right. have a cold or whatever right. it is, right? So it shouldn't be theoretically mm-hmm. any different for them to be like, oh, I mean, I noticed you're a little quieter lately. This is just a normal thing that people do right around this age. Let's go do this and just see, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that, that sometimes happens and that can be helpful is to express to the your kiddo that this is a special time just for you that mom and dad won't have access to the information. And there's legally the parent could have some access right. to that information and that's right. it's different by the age of the kiddo and how you work it out. 
But ideally, it becomes this space where they have an adult who's not their parent, who's a little more objective and who can receive maybe difficult information about what they're doing or thinking or mm -hmm. et cetera, without dysregulating or feeling like it's personalized and it becomes this special time for them. So I guess that goes to say, like, if there is a little resistance early on, it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll stick around and we have ways of working with that. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, oftentimes we see, like, the school, right, saying, hey, you know, that there needs to be something done. Maybe you should, you know, go to have your child speak to someone. But I'm, I'm wondering how many of the students that you see may have special needs that warrant because oftentimes when we meet a, a therapist that deals with adolescents they're like oh my gosh we didn't even know you existed like you know I think that this child needs help in the school you know could you help the parent with that you know and then maybe they'll pass along our information and I always find it such a precarious line for you guys to walk because at a certain point the district sh or the school should be providing some form of you know the child's in school six seven hours a day and to not have an adult that you can go to and speak to or you know they're not going to go and facetime you in the bathroom stall you know but it's oftentimes that that's what we see when we meet new new therapists that are just like wait you the school can do what um i'm wondering if you guys have had those same thoughts like wait what can the school do you know or, or have you told parents hey go to the school you know ask for special services if, if you've encountered that yeah i think i think more than anything it's this it's the parents kind of hitting a limit this is how it has been for us it doesn't necessarily mean it's this right. way across the board but hitting a limit with or you know of the services that can be provided for the mm -hmm. school and the way that i i think of that and i, I don't know how you both feel about this but it's like tutoring, right? So like there's a certain amount of instructional time in a subject, but some kiddos need a little extra or they need it in a different way. And so mm -hmm. it might be that you have a really fantastic teacher and you've got a great support system in the school and they really are doing everything that they can in all of the right ways, but for whatever reason it doesn't click for that kiddo or they need something extra. Yeah. That's more of what we see, I think. I guess for me, I wouldn't express like I don't see it as necessarily a failure of the school all the mm -hmm. time. It's more of just some kiddos need a little something extra and they need a more personal connection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We've heard this from therapists, both at the school level and outside, that if a kid is seeing therapists in the school setting or in one setting, that it may not be beneficial for them to see too. So if a kid is coming to you and they're receiving school-based counseling at school, what is your opinion about providing the services outside of school Sometimes the schools, it, well, it's different, right? The school counseling is more talking about that social aspect or dealing with emotions at school, whereas home might be something different, but it's kind of the same mm -hmm. in, in having the child talk about how they're feeling, right? Mm -hmm. What are kind of your thoughts on that? So I agree. Like, we try not to do any kind of crossovers, um, and when it has been done, it would be kind of keeping in contact with the other clinicians so that you know what's going on there and you're not doing the same thing. I think one nice thing about having someone outside is there's a little bit more anonymity, so there might be, they may not want to be seen walking into, like, the counselor's mm -hmm. office at school, and so having kind of a separate place can be nice. And then doing different things. So for a while, we had a social skills group going. And so it may not be that they want to talk to the kids at school about, like, social issues. But right. They're right. willing to come Go to the clinic. Go role play with the yeah. kids that they're having. Yes. With yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, having a place outside to meet new people and say, okay, these people are similar to me. I can talk about embarrassing things with them. And then I maybe don't have to see you at school. can be a nice kind of like a, a support group that you know people go to support groups or AA that sort of thing that's not in their everyday world yeah what are the age ranges that you guys see at the clinic in Beth Clinic uh so full age range I don't know what the youngest is 
five, five. or six. Oh, okay. so you do, yes. Yeah. 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 So as little as five and then all the way up into like full adult, so. Oh, okay. Oh, and that's where you were talking about your experience with some of the, the veterans that you had kind of gotten into. Yeah, so I had worked at VAs in the past, so oh, this okay. is a little bit different for me. But um, I do work with, I guess, people up into like age 50 and whoever comes in. So there's no limit. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever have um, kids where, you know, obviously they're not the veterans, but their their family members are, where either their family member is maybe, you know, on active duty or returning, dealing with kind of the dynamics of of how that infects the kids? Yeah, I've definitely done that. And that kind of speaks to, it can spread just to kids, right, who have kind of social anxiety or separation anxiety as well. So even kids whose parents are at home can struggle with spending that many hours apart from their parents and feeling kind of distant and needing more contact. So I, I think you touched on another issue, right? Is like we try and I think more than anything look at the whole family, right? Mm-hmm. So so often I think the message or the way we talk about mental health for teenagers or really any kid is like fix them. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. my kid has a problem, like you you fix them. It's, right? it's like the word problem. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> but then the idea behind that or the theory behind that is like okay, well, we can do a lot of work in the room, but ultimately if the the model at home is isn't working in some way that's adaptive for them, even if you know from the outside we're like you're doing everything that you know you've been reading about and things like that, then it's the likelihood of that being a long term fix is or Reduced. So oftentimes we'll have, you know, multiple practitioners in our in our office. Someone will see the parents, sometimes it's couple couples counseling or individual, and then we work with the kid and then we, we if everyone's okay with it, we collaborate across where we're able to kind of treat the whole family as a system in a, in a unit and then treat each person individually and that's usually where we see the the biggest outcome, outcome. So we talk a lot about the fact that like kids, the majority of their time is spent at school, mm-hmm. right? More than anything, just like adults at work. So we can imagine that a lot of times when kids, adolescents are having difficulties, it's stemming from something at school. How do you guys deal with kind of that crossover about, you know, helping them generalize skills that they maybe learn in session to the school environment? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> I think there's a couple of ways I'm going to stall now so I can... <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. It's a very complicated question because the, like one major thing that's happening in adolescence is they're reorganizing their attachment framework or their hierarchy to kind of preference the, the peer opinion, right? Mm. So the socialization is coming from the peers. So it's really, I don't, I don't necessarily know that the skills they need in both spheres would be different, but it's engaging the skills with different types of people where there's mm. not a hierarchical structure where the parent has all the authority. Now it's kids whose opinions matter to me, but I, they don't have any authority over me per se, and I don't over them, so that can be a little bit different. But the fundamental skills of being able to express your needs or being assertive or learning to kind of cope with difficult emotions should theoretically be similar in both spheres. It's just kind of the environment would be, the, how it responds would be different. And oftentimes, when a man and I join an IEP team, right, it's supposed to be an individualized education program team meeting, um, and, and parents oftentimes feel, they feel overwhelmed because there's like 10 people on the other side, and they're, you know, telling you, okay, well, this is what's wrong with your kid, and, and oftentimes when we get to counseling as a related service, and the child, let's just say, falls under speech and language impairment, mm-hmm. oftentimes we see that as a consequence of 
the root cause being their speech and language impairment not being effectively addressed. So then we get counseling added as a service, which is more time away from, you know, the school environment. And it's not really, they're teaching the child coping strategies and things like that, but it's like, well, let's get to the root cause. And it kind of is similar to what you were talking about, you know, being able to collaborate and have that family dynamic, which is important for us as well, because, you know, we've had some good luck, but colleagues have told us, yeah, it's, it's more so that thought process of I'm going to throw money at this, please just fix my kid. Yeah. And, and when, you know, we're able to kind of break down what the law is, what the school should be providing and how they should be providing it, I think it kind of gives parents a bit of peace of mind as to what it is because it, it's difficult. Your kid spends all this time at school and they're there to learn, right? But then your child has disabilities. And it, it was kind of like when you were talking about it, I was like, oh, that's kind of, the, the approach that we have to take too. We want to be collaborative. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's why um, a lot of parents come to this podcast because you can have those attorneys that are that are combative and, and sometimes we have to get to that point. We have to be aggressive because they're past violations. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's what you're constantly dealing with is what has been happening and how can, we, is that preventative kind of, is that kind of the approach that you take for some of these adolescents that are kind of reorganizing their point of views. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it is It is preventative in a sense, but it's really just more, I guess, holistic would be the word that I would mm. use, which I think that might be the first time I've ever actually used that word out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, it really How is... How not worth yeah, it, I know. Anyway, show me. I think um, ultimately it's, it's the idea that we're treating whatever presenting issue it is from every different sphere, and we're able to identify issues in other spheres that are likely to bleed over and contribute. Yeah. And it sounds like kind of like what you're saying, right? If right. we're not treating something, mm-hmm. we're treating this other thing, we're throwing all our resources right. at it, how, what's the likelihood that's actually going to produce you know, yeah. uh, growth? Okay, so talk to us a little bit about Empath and how it's kind of maybe different from maybe other centers. Well, we're different in a few different ways. Uh, so we're very, very small. Um, so there are four or five providers in-house. We have one person that does kind of social skills coaching. We have different specialties, I guess, within that. So we've got developmental psychologists, we've got clinical psychologists, and then we've kind of created this collaborative treatment model, which uh, clients can opt in or opt out of. It's their choice. But the idea being if they're okay with it, once a week we meet for an hour, hour and a half, and we discuss different cases that if we have permission to do that. And it helps to have different points of view, right? So I'm developmentally, that's my background. So I can, like, you know, I can see things like in this age range, that's actually fairly normative, right? Or an example would be a fear of losing a parent to death. It's fairly normative for certain age kiddos, younger kiddos. And so that's not necessarily something we need to worry about or or diagnose, but there's something else going on that we might want to peek into. So it allows that collaborative kind of spirit and ultimately it's more eyes on every case. So there's that. And then because we're small, and uh, it's a private practice, we're able to keep our client loads very, very low, which is helpful for us, right? So there's extra time outside reading about things that we're seeing, doing things like this, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more time spent on the client ultimately. That's great. I was just thinking of you having you guys tell us each a story or, or a success story. I mean, they're all success stories, like, in our minds, but or just, like, a particular case that you had that the collaborative approach was just perfect for. Because for Amanda and I, 
because special education law has only been around since the 70s, it allows us to be very created as opposed to contracts law. You know, it's been around for, for centuries, even before, you know, the old timey laws of, of England. I'm giving you my goat and you're giving me, you know, your, your crops or whatever. And so with special education, because it's still so new, we can be very creative. And it sounds like you're able to, with your clinic, be that. So what what was a, a story that you can think of? I can think of one. Okay. I mean, just, well, okay. not just one. <laughs> so more recently, we had a, we had a, a case where it was an adolescent male was having difficulty expressing emotion. It was coming out very like angry tirades and, and some aggressive behavior towards inanimate objects like bookshelves and things like that. just want to make clear that I specified. <laughs> um, and I worked with, with the adolescent and then one of the other individuals in our office worked with the parents and then we actually had them do family mm-hmm. sessions together as well. So it was uh, essentially a parenting component, a couples counseling component. We had individual therapy for the adolescent where we were able to establish rapport and kind of build up. This is how you might express this feeling that you have otherwise. And then we would bring them together only after mm-hmm. we'd kind of established that trust. And so within that dynamic, right you've got this panicked teenager who's like my you know my parents don't respond when I engage this way so I my role in that room was like I'm your I'm with you like so it's not just them approaching the parent and knowing full well after talking to my our our other partner who was working with the parents exactly what this was likely to bring up for the parents and exactly how this is likely to be interpreted so it it allowed Mm -hmm. I think a more honest conversation that was an example of the the collaborative thing working yeah that's awesome like a different perspective to kind of that that family dynamic that family therapy that it's it's not it's almost like everyone has someone in their corner even like couples counseling or family counseling that you know one person will think oh you're siding with me or you're siding so that i think that that gives that unique no one feels like there's one person siding it's no there's that one person that's always on their side that's great oh yeah and the recognition too that everyone is more or less unhappy in the system like it's not working for anybody yeah Yeah. but so often it's like well the teenager's the issue or you know or it becomes about only the parents but realistically everyone in the family is Mm -hmm. probably suffering to some degree Mm -hmm. as a result of this and the teenagers is like maybe the temperature Mm -hmm. gauge ultimately but there's more going on yeah so if a parent is listening and is um, interested in talking to you guys about more about what you do or maybe seeing if they can get some help for you, it's how, what's the easiest way to, for them to contact you guys? Our website probably would be one of the ways, and it's www.empathclinical.com. So that's E-M-P-A-T-H clinical, C-L-I-N-I-C-A-L. I had to think that one through. <laughs> yeah, spelling contest <laughs> at the end, did No, you? this is so, so stressful all of a sudden. Um, or they can call us. We've got a main line, and then one of the four or five of us will always get back, strive to be within 24 hours. So it's 323-682-0158. Um, and you guys are located in Newport? Newport. Yeah, yeah, just by the airport. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, that's not, yeah. Right off the 73. So yeah, that's very, very... convenient. Yeah, yeah. I don't think of that as Newport. It, it totally is. But I'm just like, oh, John Wayne, it's right there. But it's... It, it is Newport. It is Newport. <laughs> did you have a story by I any did. chance? Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, I just wanted... Um, I was just thinking of a teenage girl that I worked with who's struggling with eating disorders. I think the coolest thing just about that in general is that the parents are, like, so involved. So they've said, give us homework. Like, we, mm, nice. we want to be a part of this. And so yeah. sometimes I'll have them all come in together or separately talk to them by like phone or email but I tell them here's her homework for the week and here's yours and I'm going to check in on all of you and they've just been like so incredible about we we want to help right it's, so yeah like, this team is, effort this really. is a team effort yeah. we're all in this together yeah. and in that way I think it kind of keeps it accountable where it's not like you have to go work on you right. it's like this is about all of us and yeah. so we're all gonna put our best effort in so. 
Yeah, I, I was just describing to a client today, you know, sometimes Amanda and I become the accountability police, right, for, for the IEP team. And it's sad, right, you know, that, that we have to go in as attorneys and be like, oh, well, you guys should be, you know, but that's, you know, constantly what we're doing. We're constantly translating the law for our English-speaking parents. I speak Spanish, so I'm literally translating. But, you know, oftentimes we see that, and, and that's Amanda and I's role in an IEP, to have that collaborative approach. I mean, we can get aggressive in the form of filing complaints and things like that but the model with which you guys have your business is is very similar to the way that we have ours because so much more can be done for the child because that's who's at the center of this you know and it sounds like that's exactly what what ended up happening with your story too you you were the coach and you were like kind of getting everybody on the same team which is which is fun well thank you guys so much for coming on see it was so easy thank you yeah (laughs) i can't believe it's over already (laughs) right it was so quick i know we we could probably talk to you for forever but yeah we'd love to maybe have you come on again or if you guys do you guys do any presentations um or is there anything else you want to plug about the empath clinic we're working on doing school presentations. Oh, actually. very cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, and then this, obviously, we love doing stuff like yeah. this. This, is, this okay. is really helpful for us, too. Yeah. Um, Let us know when, when you do a presentation, and then we can help spread the word. Because I, I think that that's important. And, and we have been seeing that with a lot of districts that are reaching out and wanting to put on these presentations outside of themselves, which I think gives them a bit more credibility when they are going out into the community and finding people like yourselves that want to give that information out. So yeah, let us know. If it's like the D stigma to, I mean, we right. want to take that away. Ultimately, we don't want this to be a thing that is, you have to think a too thing. hard about it. Yeah. So just be something that you do, mm-hmm. right? It's no yeah. different than drinking enough water right. or going to the gym or whatever or it is eating, you do to yeah. stay healthy. It's mm-hmm. just a different part. Everybody's always about, you know, diet and food, and, and you definitely need to take care of your mental health as well, which has been something I think that we've talked about a lot this year, particularly yes. with, with our parents. So hopefully you guys enjoyed today's podcast. It's December for them. So I was just like, I was going to be like, happy Thanksgiving. And then I was like, oh no, like that's not. No, just we'll, uh, we'll, just we'll see it. you next week. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>